0: You could see the the anxiety on Kate's face about the blue girl.
1: And we're live. <laughs> it's Wednesday, April fourteenth, five oh six p.m. We are a little late because we have uh, we had some tech glitches. Uh, through the, the miracle of the internet getting um, Jillian to show up. From all the way from Berlin, Germany, to be with right. us to talk about her book. Hello, that was like actually pretty good. You just kind yeah, of yeah, we, we, we announced her. and, and like into the screen. <laughs> so I do um, have a
2: TV background. Not
1: <laughs> we are not allowed to have fun anymore,
0: but we are allowed to have Jillian York back on. Oh, that looks Wait a beautiful. Minute. I'm allowed to have fun again. No, you're not. I just got my second vaccine shot today. I've got a mojito here um, in a pineapple tumbler sent to me by one Kate Klonick. And I think I am now allowed to have fun again.
1: I don't. Yeah. If we had, by those rules, um, Ben, we would have-
0: have, You were allowed to have fun months ago.
1: I know. I was- yeah, so but but Jillian, it's so nice to have you on the show and to talk about your new book, Silicon Values, which you have been working on forever. And um we have talked about in, in process for so long. So I'm just I'm thrilled to 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 see your face. This is so great. Welcome back. Thank yeah. you. Nice to be back. Cheers. Cheers to y'all. Cheers.
2: Um, oh, you're drinking port. I was. It looked like a very dark German beer or something. No, no, no. This is a gift from um, um, MEP Karen Malchior. Um, she's a lovely member of the European Parliament. She gifted me a bottle of port after I gave a talk with her. I'm not sure I should share that publicly, but hey, I just did. So there we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's really nice. Cheers, Karen, you're out there. Cheers. <laughs> I tried port for the first time recently, and it was. I found that I liked it quite a bit. Surprisingly, it was very I good.
2: Tried- Court for the first time in Porto with Andy Carvin from when he was working at NPR and I don't remember what happened after that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's an excellent story. So, Jillian, I want to talk about your book, but update a little we were talking a little bit you're in Germany. I am. That's why it's so dark. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, and, uh, but tell us, we were talking a little bit pre pregame show about, um, about kind of what's happening in Germany with the rollout and everything else, but
2: bring us in, bring everyone into the loop. Yes. So here, <laughs> sorry, I can't even do it with a straight face here in Germany. You know, I, 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 you may notice I just shaved my head. Um, and that's because we were just allowed to get haircuts for the first time in eight months. Um, we, and you're planning ahead. You've got like- I'm, planning it oh yeah no I well, so I've been like I had kind of a side shave and then I had two sides shaved and I was doing it myself throughout the pandemic and it was starting to get really sloppy and I walked in my hairdresser was just like girl no mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that right off we're just gonna we're starting over so yeah it looks uh, great I love it you. Thank you. Yeah, but we're we're behind on everything here. Um, Germany and Canada today were announced to be two out of the three best countries in the world. And yet we are two of the three countries in the world that are like completely behind everybody in the vaccination process. So I guess they're sort of behind on that ranking.
0: I mean, I, there's kind of an inverse relationship among advanced industrialized countries among countries that have, bad COVID problems being good on the vaccination side. So UK, US, Israel, uh, all handled initial COVID very, very badly. All have excessive mortality from it. All did a completely a subpar job on the front end and did outsized good work on the vaccination side, the countries that did well on the uh, on the management side of COVID, Canada, Germany, the big countries anyway, uh, are really behind on the vaccine side. And I wonder if that's just that the urgency wasn't as, you know, we had half a million people dead. We really had to, you know, um, and I I think there's something similar happened in Israel, actually, where you had, you, you know, they realized that they had very little capacity to control the behavior of certain segments of the population, that they didn't have the ability to deal with things through, you know, social cohesion and telling people how to behavioral aspects but they could buy enough vaccine to jab everybody in the arm and bring the bring the rate down that way and germany is exactly the opposite it's like um it managed the front end sufficiently well that i wonder if there was just a a lack of urgency on the back end
2: yeah yeah, it feels like a little bit of that, little bit of capitalism, a little bit of like, it's just a sprinkling. Of, I mean, it's I think really like with, sorry, with Germany and Canada, there's this orderliness that, that both countries feel has to happen. Like, you must have these people go first and then these people next and these people. And I'm not convinced that that was the right approach. Like, I actually do think that... I mean, I know, I know the U.S. Uh, obviously, you know, states have handled it differently. I'm from New Hampshire. we I think, New Hampshire is already vaccinating under 16-year-olds. So I'm like, okay, should I just fly home? Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think that the the sort of all-in approach is a better one, and I think we're we're kind of catching up here, but slowly.
1: It was like, I mean, I, I feel like hindsight's a little 2020 because there was just this feeling that it was going to be a bum rush that everyone was going to kind of, you know, want to get this and there had to be, it had to be carefully managed and controlled. Um, And you saw at least in New York City that like, not only was the rollout kind of terrible logistically, like in terms of people signing up for website after website after website, getting like filling out all their stuff, then finding that there were no slots left, like type of thing over and over and over again for hours. Um, But kind of once that scaled up, uh, and they opened it up more generally. It really, I think it was, like, I think you're right. I think that, but there was no way of kind of predicting that, that people would kind of orderly sign up for their time and, and, you know, and come when they were supposed to come and everything else. But I am fingers crossed for you getting the vaccine very soon. I am really hoping. And so,
2: yeah, it's keep us sweet. up. I like ticket to Serbia booked just in case. Serbia is like the master of vaccines. I don't know if y'all know that, but they're- I did not know that. Did you know that? Oh, yeah.
0: so this is really they've, wild. They've, Ser- they've done a very good job.
2: Yeah. Tell me more. What happened in Serbia? Well, so Serbia had an epidemic of, um, oh gosh, sorry. I know the Serbian word for it, which is really weird. Um, my best friend in Berlin is Serbian. Um smallpox thank you um brain (laughs) so they had a smallpox outbreak in the 70s and so they've handled a pandemic in recent history and i think that like much more recently than anyone else i think um and so i think that might have something to do with it um as well as the just yeah i don't know quite organized
0: aren't they using the russian uh, so got vaccine. The
2: Chinese one and the um, uh, Pfizer, I th- no, AstraZeneca. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well,
1: that's I had no idea, but we should. I don't want to fritter away our time just talking about uh, just talking about kind of mining you for details about the EU. <laughs> I am like you have worked so hard in this book. Um, the book is Silicon Values, The Future of Free Speech Under Surveillance Capitalism. It is everyone there needs to be like there needs to be like, um, like this is just thank you for grabbing it. My copy is at my office. Thank you. So, yes, yeah, so it's very it's a great um, it is just fantastic. And we talked a lot about it while you were writing it. So just kind of give us give us the overview that you've kind of been doing as you've been on your Zoom
2: book tour. Oh, yeah, Zoom book tour. Who is would shitty? <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, health wise. So, I mean, I, I think this is probably public knowledge to most people. But like, I, I'm a cancer survivor, and I actually had treatment during the pandemic. I'm doing really well. Thank you, everyone. Um, but um, if I had had to go on a book tour, even without a pandemic, like I would be so sick right now. Yeah. And. Instead, I get to just be like, okay, I'm going to turn off you guys and like go lay down on my couch. It's, there's, there are some pluses, let's just say. Um, So no, I mean, the book, okay, the book. So 10 years, really, this is like 10 years in the making. Um, I think the first time somebody said that I needed to write a book was around 2012, which is when I was just getting started. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll get to that later. And then, you know, it kind of creeped on me over the years. And I remember, like, you know, Ethan Zuckerman, Evgeny Morozov, like, all of these people just being like, write it, write it down, write a book, write a book, write a book. Um, And when I, actually, when I met my partner, um, around that time was around the time that the, you know, it was really kind of going, okay, I I think I really actually need to do this now. And, yeah, I um, sat down, wrote a book, and, it details the basically what I see is like the past almost 15 years now we're looking at of social media content moderation history. Um,
1: yeah.
2: and with, so some, to- with some blind spots, to be fair, um, yeah. Amazon yours. So, so,
1: just to, for background, you were at the Berkman Klein Center at Harvard for a while and doing research there. Then you joined the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is. I don't know how to kind of categorize. You've given me the, hist- the, the long history. We don't need to get into it here, but the, but the Electronic Fundier Foundation has been kind of uh, to protecting kind of individual liberties on the internet um, for a very long time. And you now are the head of the freedom of expression. Um, the head of the freedom. Yeah, and so, um, so what is the thesis of the book? What are Silicon values?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> so silicon values um are US centric for starters. They are, you know, insular. They are thinking of the privileged user, not the user, you know, somewhere far away, like well, not Germany, but um well eh, Germany too. Um they are <sighs> Sorry, it's like, what are Silicon values? How do I? Yeah, it's it's really these the ideologies created by a narrow group of people um, exactly. in a like in you know in the it's ivory tower. Silicon Valley. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so yeah, this ideology is created by a very narrow, narrowly focused, narrow mindset. Overuse the word narrow here. Um, group of individuals um, with a, with. Without the kind of sociological and historical background to understand the ways in which their products would be would be used, and so when we look at the history of this, I mean, I, I like I, I speak very well in examples, so you'll probably want to pull me onto one of those for a minute, so I don't ramble too much. Um, but when oh, Jesus. sorry, um. <laughs> close
1: that. Have like eight million. Windows and boxes open.
3: Yeah.
2: I'm like, where is this notification even coming from? There we go. Notifications are okay. Yeah, <laughs> part of
1: the part of the charm of like the low tech nature of in lieu of fun. But yeah, so like, let's talk about some of the examples. Give us kind of like what, what what do you think is kind of what is your favorite kind of example of Silicon values or something coming out of this book? The idea that like the trade offs that some that someone made in like a particular instance that like really strike you as making the wrong calculation because they were in Silicon Valley and so removed and so kind of driven by capitalism?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the key examples in the book comes from Egypt a decade ago. Um, When we look at the Egyptian uprising that happened in 2011, let's look a little bit past, uh, sorry, behind that um, to 2010. So in 2010, there was a young man named Khalid Said, uh, He was 26 years old, um, and he was shot by police, um, or sorry, not shot, beaten by police. Well, wow. America just kind of went into yeah. my brain. <laughs> um, beaten by police. Um, so this was an instance of police brutality, and that really you know, just struck a lot of people, um, and as such, people created a page in his name, Chana We are all Khaltaid. Um, and that page grew and grew and became a space for discussion, for conversation, um, and for a movement. Ultimately, but uh, and that that is the page, by the way. Like to to you know, kind of hit the punchline too early. That is the page that eventually called for the January twenty fifth uprising, but on Thanksgiving weekend in 2010 um, in the US, I was, you know, working and getting getting all these emails, like, what is this? And I'm seeing these emails from, like, Danny O'Brien and Rebecca McKinnon, and they're CCing, like, Sheryl Sandberg and Elliot Schrag and these people, like, who are still high up in Facebook's executive team, um, that the page has gone down, it's just gone. We don't know why. And what had happened was that, it was removed because the person who was the administrator of the page had been using a pseudonym, um, reasonably so. He's you know Egyptian, not in a safe circumstance, and so he um, you know got, gets caught in this loop with Facebook, um, gets shut, or not even the loop. That's what happens now. Back then, he just gets shut down um, and told, you know, you're like that's it. Story over. Um, and so we stepped in, and they stepped in, really. I, I was kind of a, almost on the sidelines of this. They Who's the EFF, or? Um, no, Danny, Danny O'Brien is at EFF now. He was, at the time, at the Committee to Protect Journalists. Um, Rebecca McKinnon, back then, was, don't know what her affiliation was at the time, but she's now ranking digital rights. Yep. Um, and I was at Berkman, and we were all just kind of scrambling to figure this out.
1: Right. So one of the things that I've always been struck by, just to go to another example, is the story that I've talked about in the show a few times and that you and I, I mean, that you obviously know, which is the Napalm Girl incident in 2016, right? So in the fall of 2016, a prominent Norwegian journalist posted a picture of Thomas Ut's terror of war photo, which was a picture of, I think, a seven year old girl naked running down the street of her Vietnamese village after it had been bombed um, in the Vietnam War by by Agent Orange, and um, it's a very powerful photo, won a Pulitzer Prize, and it had been put up on Facebook by this prominent Norwegian journalist and taken down, and I think he'd gotten a strike against his account or, like, his account had been closed down for a few hours, I can't remember. And he comes back and he is just rip shit, like frankly, and like goes on this campaign to be like, Facebook is censoring historical information. Um, and in compare, and then like, and then it gets taken up by the Norwegian prime minister and then they remove it from her page. And then a little, and then there's like, fast forward to like Nor- Norway, like a bunch of, I think, are the third most popular Aftenposten, Post and the third most popular um newspaper in Norway, posts a photo, a picture of the photo on the front page and like a letter to dear Mr. Zuckerberg, dear Mark Zuckerberg, like that basically calling for them to do this. It was, people might remember this, they might not, but for the platforms, it was a reckoning moment, right? It was a moment where they finally realized that they could not solve all of their problems by just taking things down right? Like exactly what you describe, And that there would be really powerful people that would be very upset. Do you think there were, is that something that you touch on in the book? Is that something that you talk about? Because I think that like, this is something we've talked about. So I'm interested to hear if you think that this has progressed since 2016 and gotten better or gotten worse.
2: That was such an interesting story. I, you know, I got, I ended up, I think I spoke to the (laughs) Wow, like, sorry, you know, I think we all have pandemic brain, right? Like, we're we're all there. Um, I spoke to the European Parliament back then, at that time with the with that editor and with a couple of other folks. um, And we were, you know, we actually gave a talk around that. um, And my uh, what I recall was that there was a really interesting element of that story that that kind of didn't get told, which was that that photo was controversial to begin with, and that editors had actually like really, you know, hemmed and hawed over whether to put it out in the public in the first place, way back in the day. I'm talking newspapers, and so I think that you know. That, that piece of the story kind of got lost in all. But have things changed since then? I mean, no, I think things have gotten worse, frankly. Um, so let me rewind just a bit before that. That was, what, 2017? Um,
1: I just actually pulled up the Facebook post that I, or the, no, it was 2016. Yeah, it was
2: 2016. It was okay. so, September of so 2016. Was about a year or two before that, there had been um, a different situation involving um, real name, the real name policy, Facebook's real name policy, where a bunch of drag performers in San Francisco had all gotten booted off the service at the same time, like just systematically kicked off. We assumed this was because people were clicking and reporting them. You know, you're violating the policy. You're violating the policy, etc. Um, but what happened was that sorry, I'm like. Really so tired, you guys.
1: No, um, I know. Take your time. It's fine. This is, like,
2: low-key. Don't even worry about it.
1: You're I know.
0: It's And you're going to
1: Zoom all day.
2: It's, like, yeah. I just, like, just for the record, for the proverbial record, this is, like, my ninth hour of calls. Um, oh, I've just been, like, on all day, so I, I feel... No, crazy. just relax. It's totally yeah.
1: fine. Like, you're, <laughs> like, it's... Yeah. I just <laughs> kind of wanted to have, like, I'm just kind of actually curious. Like, I think that you're... I think yeah. that there is... Yeah. So let me just cut it. So the drag performers, there's generally been kind of like this huge let's take down nudity because it's easy and salacious. And there's like it's like gray power. It's not like, you know, it's not strong power. It like exists in the space that they're not going to go and get or like something to like kind of go and like put this shit back up. And so it's easy for Facebook to put down because already people who are existing in sex work or pornography or whatever else are disempowered uh, by, by like, by society. And so I think that kind of, if I can, if I, if I may, I think that one of the things that like, I would love to hear your thoughts on are basically kind of like, how do you like, this is the dichotomy that you're basically kind of like pulling out in your book, which is that there is this, like there are these powerless masses who are regularly censored and Silicon values decide that it's easy to censor them and at low risk because of capitalism, because they don't, you know. And then there are like these historic moments that become incredibly high profile, like something like Napalm Girl and powerful people get involved right? And like, basically, that the values end up going wherever the power is, and that they are not kind of first
2: principles on their own. Does that make sense? No, that's I, I think that you, <laughs> you just described my book far better than I could. Um, <laughs> it's been in my head so long, like, that's the hard thing about writing a book. Is that you? You know, once it's out, you're like, "Oh, I'm done." Like, I, I don't, I don't think I've reread it. You know, do you think does Julia Roberts go back and watch her movies? I don't know. Um, I'm, wow,
0: I did not just compare myself. To that's a, that's actually all she does. She sits around upset, all like, day watching watch her. her movies, um, uh, and that's the difference between you and Hollywood people. Yeah, clearly. Uh, so, yeah, so a I, I have question. I have a question about. It seems to me the fundamental silicon value is that they want bright line rules that are easy to implement. Um, they don't deeply care what the rule is. So, you know, if it's no, no female breasts, right, they can live with that rule. If it's no female breast except when it's about breast cancer, They like that rule a little bit less well because it's a little bit more complicated, right? Um, They like the rule, we believe in freedom of speech a lot because it requires nothing of them. They like the rule, we believe in freedom of speech except when X, Y, Z, A, B, C, a lot less. And so my, it seems to me the basic conflict here is that there is no rule that is simple to articulate that doesn't have too many exceptions to be simple to implement. And so if you say no videos of burning children, which seems like a perfectly reasonable rule, then somebody will come up with napalm girl. Right. Which the prime minister of Norway will actually have strong feelings about that. This is an important thing to talk about. Well, like it's
1: not burning children. She's not on fire. I'll give you one better. She's just a burnt child. No, no pictures of naked children, like naked children in like. Right. And like, okay, but then what do you do with trying to share with your grandmother or like and all of your family members pictures of your
2: kids taking their first bath? Right. And so, that's what it came and, down to, right? Is that it's and, really hard around those bright lines to like to to actually draw that and then apply it to every single user consistently in every circumstance. And this is what these companies are just functionally unable to do.
0: Right? And so isn't the fundamental problem that their fundamental value, which is ease of operation, because that's what maximizes profitability is actually indefensible uh, given the mores of our society. And our society here is, I acknowledge, totally different in Thailand than it is in Botswana than it is in Washington. But whatever your, whatever your conception of our society, whatever like it's not consistent with these the, the, the sort of bright line rules that they would tend most to favor
2: yeah i think that that's right and i think that they also tend to facebook in particular tends to be really conservative when they're looking at other parts of the world and so rather than invest the time and resources into getting the details right um they'll just blanket ban certain things in certain um regions and and that's something that's sort of it's almost new i mean we've seen it increasingly during the pandemic um but also you know around the past couple of years like to give a very clear example that i think is going to be um coming up a lot more like some of the lgbt products um that facebook offers are not available in certain regions of the world so if you're in poland even have luck and that to me is Striking because Poland is part of the European Union, um, which guarantees right. Like we have the <laughs> we have laws here, um, and so you know. And but also Lebanon as well. Like Lebanon, there's a high court in Lebanon that has determined, um, or that I, I'm I'm gonna get the Lebanese ruling wrong. I'm not an expert on, on Lebanese law, um, but there is a high court ruling there around um, the the right to express um, one's sexual identity, and so. That being said, like these companies are not doing the research, they're just kind of blanketing certain regions. If they're not profitable, it's not that interesting, and so on.
1: Yeah, so. I'm curious, and I wonder, Ben, if you have thoughts on this too. I'm curious if there's like, do you do you feel do, or do you I haven't read the last part of the book? Do you come to a part of, well, I just haven't read anything literally, Julian. I've been well, teaching. I, like this, I'm so tired. I just bought these. I I had to buy a bookshelf for all the books I, so I book they bought. <laughs> I love that you admit that you haven't read books on your bookshelf. I like I'm like, everyone is that, Jillian. No one else. I have read this.
0: every single book that you can see. In my uh, in your
1: square uh, in, you in, my, right in my in my screen.
0: Even if you expand nope. the screen uh, so that I take up the whole screen, There's I still will have read that every room. single book, <laughs> and I have fired every single Ew. cannon. Um,
1: I will say this. Uh, so I I'm curious what you think, and this is kind of so this is kind of getting to uh, Jack Goldsmith. And Tim Wu kind of who controls the internet question. We're going to get to a point where uh, we're going to get to a point where you have basically, I think you're going to have to pick values for Silicon Valley to articulate. And so, whose values, right? Is it like this imperialism type of idea where we're bringing civilization or like, or like, you
2: know, we're bringing for, French for down the, on the internet, which is, um, who, who put that one forth? I forget. Was that, I don't that know. Was but it was, was like, was like, like Mike Godwin's here. So he'll tell us probably. Cause yeah. he's like, uh, like, a uh, yeah, I'm really remembering
1: everything that's happened after. on the internet. Um, the international covenant on civil and political rights might be a place to start. Yes. That is, I mean, that is yeah. true, but that is also not, that is, there are also a lot of there are a lot of countries that are not party to that.
2: Yeah, right. There's more that are that aren't, though. Yes. Yes. No, though. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, the ICCPR is my starting point, frankly. Um, I That said, I do think that we need to talk about what morality means, <laughs> um, because that is part of the ICCPR um, and part of the exemption under Article 19. And I think morality has a very different meaning to us today than it did in the 40s. Um, but that being said, you know, I mean, I think that a lot of these, we we have had all of these deliberations before. And it's always stunning to me that Mark Zuckerberg thinks that, you know, he's somehow smarter that, than all of these people who came before him. Um You know, I, and I I single him out on purpose because I'm not sure that Jack Dorsey actually thinks that he's smarter than those people. Oh, um, I, I
1: actually th- think that Mark, like that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't think he's smarter. I think he's just doesn't want to deal with this problem and i think jack dorsey might actually think he's smarter but but yeah oh, but anyway
2: oh, oh, yeah. Oof, but I think we can talk about that later yeah 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 i want to have that conversation another time um no i'm very okay well now you've shifted my thought but um no, I, it's, no it's okay no i just i feel like they've they've isolated themselves so much that they're not tapped into this. I mean, David Kay's been, been pushing this for a long time. A lot of folks have been pushing this for a long time, that we do already have existing universal human rights frameworks, at least as a basis. And if you look at Facebook's community standards, there, there's no basis for them. They're not based in anything except somebody's ideology or layers upon layers of ideologies kind of just... You know,
3: but why
0: should they be based on um on the ICCPR or on international human rights law facebook is not at the end of the day uh the title of kate's article notwithstanding it's not a government
3: mm-hmm. it's
0: a it's a free set of services that it offers to people um if they want to have um you know condition those services on the basis of something that would be indefensible from an international human rights law point of view why why shouldn't they particularly because at least as i read the oversight board's interpretations of the iccpr as a starting point for their content moderation discussion they're you know, basically telling Facebook you have to tolerate a lot of the stuff that I would really like to see Facebook not tolerate because it promotes violence and it promotes, you know, anti-vax stuff. And and I, I'm I'm fine with telling the government of France you can't suppress that stuff, but I'm I'm not so sure I'm I'm fine with telling private creators of forums that's the standard that you should live by too and yeah and i'm not sure that i'm fine with that on a regulatory
2: basis either but i think as a starting point um i think we need to we need to like let's roll it all back and just say okay if we're starting now instead of putting and i mean much love to dave vulner if you're listening but like if we're throwing a room together of people to create these rules, maybe we would have picked a more diverse group of people. Maybe we would have picked a more <laughs> educated group of people. Maybe we would have picked people who had like you know, the variety of backgrounds to contribute to this in a meaningful way and, and bring in those existing frameworks. So, no, I mean, do I think that the government should tell Facebook you must abide by the ICCPR? I do not. Do I think that Facebook should reconsider and audit all of its rules and start from the very beginning? Absolutely. Because what's happening right now is, so I'm going to give a clear example this time. Um, So that thing that I was talking about earlier with the LGBTQ products that are not not being distributed to certain parts of the world, at the same time, so I'm going to use Lebanon as a clear example here. Lebanon is a country where, again, like the the laws fuzzy a little bit on um, homosexuality. And then on the other hand, you've got Hezbollah, which is a US designated foreign terrorist organization, but also a state actor because they've got seats in parliament in Lebanon. So that's a tricky position, right? Facebook um, is not, at least according to our lawyers, might disagree. Facebook's not obliged to take down Hezbollah's speech, right? So they've come up with this policy that it allows Hezbollah is not allowed to post, but people can talk about Hezbollah and they can talk about them positively, but they can't praise them. And it's just this very twisted policy. and it's specific to certain countries like Lebanon, Myanmar. This came out in the Guardian a couple of weeks ago if, if folks don't know what I'm talking about, um, I can find the link in a bit. So, so in the, at the same time that people are allowed to praise a violent organization, regardless of their politics, whatever we think, um, people are allowed to praise them, but they can't express their queerness. Is that really a world that we're okay with? Like I'm, I'm just not okay with that.
1: Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's exactly. I, I know I think that that's um I think that that's a like a really wonderful way of kind of showing the lack of first principles that you're kind of talking about and talking about replacing uh David but, Botts.
0: but wait, before okay. we go to David Botts, yep, I, I just want to ask is 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 your problem there ultimately with Facebook or is your problem with lebanese law
2: um, hmm. so.
0: I mean, I mean the, the, what, the what, Facebook, what Facebook is doing is it's creating a transnational right. speech environment that is regulated right. by a hundred-plus local laws,
3: and yeah. so but it's concentrating
0: the conflicts between laws. But is it really, is it really that Facebook is saying that you know you can praise Hezbollah, but you can't you can't express your your yes. gender identity, or is it that Lebanon is saying? No, no,
2: no, no, it's, it's Facebook. It's not Lebanon. I'm, I'm positive of that. It is not the Lebanese government. Um, yeah. So the Lebanese government does not restrict homosexuality on Facebook. They do not, I, I mean, even looking at the transparency reports, there are not very many content removal requests. And we do know just from, I mean, I, I've i worked a lot in that country, that that's not what's happening here. Uh-huh. Okay. Same, same with Poland, as far as I'm aware. And if, if that is true, then Poland is violating European laws.
1: Uh, David Botts, lovely background. Oh wow, that's a picture of my my little brother in the back, in like the lower left corner of David's thing. That's that's our first day of school. I think I was in second grade and he was in kindergarten. Hi.
2: That. That's wonderful. I love yeah, that. Yeah, David it creates like, a background
0: for every day every of In, of Fun.
1: Of, In of Fun. He always has a different one. It's so lovely. he's got, oh, he has After Trump up and he has your book up, Jillian. So, anyway, I know, David, I, I, I love, love this so, so much. Fantastic. Podcast.
0: And And he's mute today. We
1: love, we love David. He's not mute. I have him unmuted.
0: No, no, no. He's just, he's (laughs) miming. Are you going to mime your question? No, I just like,
1: like, I like that he's Vanna Whiting. He's Vanna Whiting. He's just like, (laughs) yes. Um, David, the floor is yours. I love your question.
0: Um, Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much, Jillian, for uh, joining uh, the, the crowd today. And I, I feel for you. I, I've spent many hours on uh, the Zoom today, also. So you're doing great. You're doing really good. So, um, so, so uh, free speech as a concept is really—it's super different in Germany versus the United States. And uh, based on you being there for a while, what what lessons do you think folks from the U.S. can learn about? Germany or or other countries, I mean, we talked a little bit about Poland and, and uh, other countries, but as it relates to speech, and, you know, we've we got good speech and questionable speech, all kinds of speech, but Germany is super different.
2: Yeah, Germany is really interesting in the sense that, I mean, and, and I'm not an expert on German law, so I'm sure that there are Germans in the audience, and I might get something wrong. Please point it out if I do. Um, but obviously, you know, the country's unique history, we've got quite a bit of it here, I'm sure you're all familiar, Um, makes it such that there are things here that you can't say. Um, Now, the way that this is traditionally dealt with, let's say offline, um, if you were to go out in a park and spray paint a swastika or say things, uh, scream you know, Holocaust denial in the park next door, I'm literally pointing to a park, sorry, um, you would be fined most likely. And one of the interesting things that I learned recently from somebody was that, somebody here, right, lawyer, I think, was that those fines are actually an effective deterrent, um, according to some of the studies that have been done, that people, when they are fine, they realize that they're not allowed to say certain things. Um, they, <laughs> sorry, I saw Godwin's comment. Um,
1: that, <laughs> wait, 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 were you purposely just mouthing things? Because you're not muted.
0: No, sorry, my mic, I muted myself from my mic. Oh. I, said, I, I said, you might say it causes a chilling effect.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you—you, you, it does. It causes a chilling effect, and you know, I mean, it's funny because at the beginning of the pandemic, like I was like, "Ooh, could we have like a," chilling. <laughs> oh, what was the? Sorry, never mind. I, I'm, forgot my own joke. Um. Anyway, um. Yeah. So so people are you know, d- dissuaded from engaging in that type of speech here. And at the same time, you know, there is, I feel a lot more free here than I do in a lot of the US for a lot of different reasons, right? Um, One of them is guns. (laughs) You don't see guns here. They don't, I mean, they do exist, but they're not prevalent. Um, Another reason is that I do have more personal freedoms when it comes to self-expression here than I feel that I do in the US. I can be topless. At the lake no problem um i can walk down the street with a beer in my hand and so it is this really interesting balance um so germany's you know and I, i'm i know obviously carrying a beer is not speech but some of these things are expression and i think well, they're that liberty people- they're, they're, they're 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 liberty and do, like it's liberties like you could so
1: maybe not speech but it is like uh it is a pro-liberty kind of stance
2: yeah, and and nudity is self expression. I mean, that's absolutely expression. Um,
0: I, I. But isn't, but isn't that true in in a lot of countries that at, different countries and different cultures have different things that they consider, you know, core expressive liberty uh, material, um, and the you know you you say you're you feel freer for the lack of guns. But of course, the gun culture people feel less free for the for the lack of gun ownership, right? And um, you know, I've I've always been. Um, there are there are things that, uh, you know, when 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 we. Uh, the first time, I don't think it's true anymore, but it certainly used to be that when you stayed in a hotel in Germany, you would give them your passport and they would report your location sure. to the cops.
2: And okay. um, and that is that I, I don't... true, Jillian? It, no, okay. they don't report it to the cops, but they have it on record if if asked.
0: Yeah, so it it used to be, when and when you moved in Germany, you had to go report to your local local police station, you know, and there would be riots. And
2: And you have to have your address on the
0: doorbell, you have to have your name
2: on the doorbell here, so I'm, as a public figure, it's actually, uh, and actually this one's really wild too, you also have to have an impressum on your website, that has your full address. And I've been violating the law since 2014.
0: <laughs> that's um, I mean, stronger. There, w- there would be yeah. riots in the street if you did that here. And I don't, yeah. um, and I actually think it's completely fine within a reasonable bounds that, you know, different cultures have different core liberties that they value. And some of them, if you're somebody for whom you know, being topless on a beach or carrying a beer down the street is, you know, closer to your soul um, than, say, um, you know, outlying views of free speech of the type that we protect in the United States or, um, or uh, uh, gun culture or, you know, a number of other things or not be having to, you know, report your location to the police department. Uh, some of which will engage the sensibilities of the audience, I think, more than others, um, you're going to feel freer in different locations than you will in others.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. And I, mean, I totally agree with that, except for the fact that, that a large majority of the world's people don't have that freedom of movement and so if they did I think it would be great if we could just choose the affinity you know go for affinity culture I want to live here but like if you're in Saudi Arabia world yeah so like you're in Saudi Arabia tough luck and that's the part that really gets to me with all of this because these companies choose to comply with those countries restrictions, even in cases where they don't have offices on the ground where they could, you know, risk getting blocked. Instead, they say, you know what, our product is so worth it to these people that we're fine with them only getting a portion of it. And to me, and, and it's interesting, because Saudi Arabia is actually a really fascinating example for for a couple of reasons. One, like Saudi does make these requests. but Sorry, am I ranting too much? No, No, please. Keep
1: going, please. They
2: do. They do make these demands of companies. Um, One of the really famous ones was they demanded that Netflix take down Hasan Hasan Minhaj's episode where he criticized MBS. But you know what? They didn't take down the Goop episode that showed vulvas. Um, They didn't take down all of the like semi nudity on on net or nudity on Netflix, um, semi nudity on YouTube, and so the education and the education. I'm sorry, that was just the word I went for. But like the culture, the access to information and education that people have that they might not have or they definitely wouldn't have had in previous generations is just unparalleled. And so from that standpoint, I mean I understand where these companies are coming from. It's worth it to not get blocked, to take down this one item. And yet at the same point, at the same time, at some point you do have to take a stand, right? And for me, that comes when you're Quashing entire movements, and that's what I see happening with um, the the stuff around like LGBTQ um, expression. So, I mean, that kind of got far away from German culture here. Yeah, I no, mean, I,
1: I think that that was great. That was yeah. like,
2: that was awesome. <laughs> cool. No,
1: I, I mean no, and now you've kind of like, and, and I'm seeing where you're like wrapping it into and where like the line is, and it's like it's consistent with like kind of the summary that I kind of gave of the book, and I think it's great. So, Christopher
3: Ardris, the floor is yours. Hey, good to see you, um, Julian. It's uh, been a l- long time uh, Twitter mutual follow, so it's good yeah, to- Yeah,
2: no, you're, I, you've got <laughs> to-
3: definitely- yeah, i been for like 12 years. Um, so actually uh, talking about Saudi Arabia would be a good transition to my question, which uh, try to connect your both of your books. So I, I wanted to ask uh, in, in, in light of Morocco, um, your earlier work in in Morocco w- whether you have any sense of how the uh, last administration's sort of a, a last minute decision to recognize moroccan sovereignty over the uh, western sahara how how that's how that's been playing uh with the Sahrawi uh, community uh in in Morocco uh, uh, and uh, the Algerian uh, refugee camps, and then in, in terms of uh, freedom of expression, because we know that that there's some of the most repressed people in in the world, and uh, those that are on Moroccan occupied territory really have no rights or n- sort of no access to sort of free media, free expression. Um, so I'm wondering if whether your contacts, whether you still kind of keep up with people of Morocco and what's the sense of sort of that the this current administration hasn't distanced himself and hasn't uh, re- reversed this uh, unilateral uh, uh, declaration of Moroccan sovereignty over uh, the Western Sahara?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a great question. It's like I feel it feels like a lifetime ago that I was a, person who did geopolitics, Um, but I mean, beyond the internet, Um, but yeah, I I can still speak to it a little bit. I mean, the sad thing, the sad truth is that most of my friends from Morocco um, that I knew back when I lived there and also that I knew after I, when I was at Perkman and, and still doing that work, the vast majority of them are in Europe now um which is great for them like on a personal level but terrible for the country um the country's always had a a horrific brain drain um but it i was hoping that it would kind of turn around with this generation and it hasn't um and the entrenchment of the like these policies in the western sahara is just yet another expression of the moroccan government's insistence on like Oh God, I'm never going to get to go back if I say the things that I want to say so I'm not going to say them. Um, (laughs) I got heavily questioned last time and I'm like oh they're always watching me like yeah um they really are but yeah um so I try not to comment on this publicly because of this and we've got a pretty big audience tonight so I'm going to censor myself a little bit um for the sake of being able to visit my friends and and like loved ones there um that being said, free expression in Morocco is still very, very much an issue. And during the pandemic, I it, it's felt like I've just felt so distant from people there in, in a way that I can't, it, in a way that makes me want to cry, honestly. Some of my friends there are going through legal difficulties. Um, the, there's been um, kind of a shift from these more harsh tactics. Um, I mean, I don't know if I feel like this is. Yeah, like Maybe this is not the audience, um, but Morocco's had like a really fascinating history with it, the way that it's enacted repression from the, you know, the like literally putting people in vats of acid in like the 60s and 70s, the years of lead to um, the repression tactics from the past decade, the surveillance, like Citizen Lab's got some great work on this. Um, and now they've kind of moved towards civil suits, which is this really like interesting shift. We're like, oh, we're trying to be more European in a very, I don't know, Eastern European kind of way. Um, I've just insulted everybody now, I can go home.
1: (laughs) I don't Um, think that you've insulted anyone, but like, I I think that that's, I mean, it was a hard question
2: and like, yeah. It's a good question though and I appreciate it.
1: Yeah something to think about for a long time. We have one last question, and it's from my student, Genevieve de la Fara. Hi, Genevieve. Um, you asked a whole bunch of questions, so I'm gonna let you know which one I think is probably the most. I was gonna ask. <laughs> yeah, you were gonna ask like, what question to ask. Um, mm-hmm. Scrolling down, and finding it. I know it's like, it was one of the things. Oh, it was your question about the broader public, and. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, that question.
2: Okay, sure. So my question is, do you think that the broader public needs to be educated about how technology and data collection works generally and the consequences of that in order to understand which rights of theirs are being infringed upon or perhaps precluded from accessing? Oh, yeah. Um, I So, I mean, I feel like my goal has always been to talk to the broader public. Um, I'm like, I, I don't get me wrong, I love doing stuff like this. I know you folks are like the more... Um, multi-potential so, so there's no more, different. there's no more broader public than that. No, no, it's true. But I mean, it's always been my goal really. Like when I started, so I, I think Christopher knows this, I guess um, maybe a few of you do, but like I started my career um, in Morocco. I was teaching English and I wanted to be a writer. And so I, I, I do have another book. Um, this is not my first book. I wrote a book uh, about Morocco Um, but it was like on contract and I'm actually (laughs) revising it right now. Um, funny enough, but, um, deadlines, uh, yeah, but so I started blogging there and was trying to really tell these stories from a country that was growing, um, and, and progressing and, you know, kind of coming into the internet age, um. And that's where I discovered internet censorship. So I started blogging because of that, and I started trying to tell those stories. And like I, I, spoke shitty Arabic and shitty French, and was like trying to pull from whatever I could find on the internet using rudimentary Google Translate, relying on my friends, taking language classes, and like just telling these stories. And I, I'm, I guess I'm just a storyteller at my core. And so now coming into this work, um, or being in this work now for a decade, I, you know, I've like. Here I'll frame it this way. Right now, there's this like Substack war going on that I think a lot of you are probably familiar with, and the thing that bothers me about it the most—my Dom Domstack, like what right. the making that joke. I hadn't thought of that. That's good. Um, (laughs) The thing that bothers me about it the most is that like I've always taken all of these random writing gigs here and there, not because I'm money hungry, but because I like the idea of being able to write for like this random place, um, this random op-ed in Texas, this random op-ed in Indonesia. And I've been doing that for years. When I was on the speaking circuit, which I mean, I guess was the past decade of my life, um, although I have not moved... From my apartment in like a year, um, I would you know I would get invites from like historically black colleges and universities in the U.S. and those were my absolute favorite high schools. I'll take it every single time. Like, give me those. If a student emails me and asks me for an interview, I did an interview with an eight-year-old Swedish girl a couple months ago. Like those. Really? Are my- yes, do you get those? I just got one from
1: a high school student that asked me to do one, no. and I. And then I wrote back and said yes, and he said my schedule is full. I filled out,
2: oh. I got, and I was like, "Okay." I track. I've probably done like a hundred over the years student interviews. Um, a couple of days ago, somebody asked me for an autograph for their newborn. I was like, "Okay, cool." Like, what? <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I think that speaking to the broader public is like it's 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 what it's about. I, I'm not interested in the media elite discussion these days. Although I am on Twitter, obviously.
1: <laughs> I loved your Twitter breaks when you were writing the book. I thought that that was smart and great. And but now you are uh, now you are uh, a famous author, and you have this new book out. I'm going to finally drop. I'm going to drop it for the last time. And it's been happening in the chat regularly.
2: Um, that, to get on
1: US TV, though. That's my one,
2: uh, my
1: holy well, grail. That in we'll, New York, we'll, we'll make it happen. But there's, but we have to wrap. And I, like Jillian, I'm so glad you were finally able to connect and that we were finally able to do this. This has been- so good, so good to see
0: you and congratulations on the both. book.
2: Thank you this so much. This yeah. Awesome. I'm sorry if my brain has been scattered at points tonight. No I... dude, this is a very low stake <laughs>
3: show.
1: We ask hard questions, but we also have six hours on you. So like, I would be like, pretty, like, I'm like, pretty, like, and also you were, you're, you've been wonderful. And like, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, We will be back 20, oh, well, 22 hours and 59 minutes from now. Right, right? With Ona
0: Hathaway.
1: Yeah, with Ona Hathaway of Yale Law School talking about the internationalists, which is a book she wrote with Scott Shapiro about international human rights.
0: And if you guys think that Scott Shapiro is the clownish uh, self-mocking character you have seen on In Low of Fun on a serial basis, um, uh, you're gonna be surprised by his co-author. Yeah. You are. Is, you sure are. Ona would like, be more different. I
1: actually have always been shocked that they like co-authored so well together. It's a testament to like Ona's like humanity that she keeps kind of like shh, like like behind the curtain.
3: We're totally like, gonna
0: ask her about this. It's like yeah, a, and like a Scott's totally like, separate Scott Shapiro personality when he's not on Twitter or in lieu of fun that doesn't um, make self deprecating jokes and isn't. And isn't like um, you know self-loathing and uh, all those things, and is just actually down to business and takes the work really seriously. Doesn't constantly make fun of himself.
1: Yep. So I'm. We're going to wrap it. We are not. Or so. Thank you, Jillian, for coming on the book is Silicon Values. There is the link in the chat. The future of free speech under surveillance capitalism. Uh, please buy it. And uh, we are not allowed to have fun anymore. But in lieu of fun, Ben, you can hold it up, Jillian, hold it up.
0: We are allowed to express ourselves variably, depend uh, in different ways, in different places, ultimately at the discretion of Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's I'm to see you, friend.
3: There you go.
0: You're so
1: great. I love